You know, this is a podcast why it's never too late to pursue a formal education. Yes, it is. And it's never too late to follow your creative dreams. Our guest, Jill Carlisle, is a magnificent example of completely reinventing yourself into living a happy and creative life. Good for her. She is certainly inspiring and has a very inspirational book. everyone. Hope you've been having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn from their experiences. And we do too, actually. Yes. And I'm Ingie Jones. Welcome to Thought Row Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively with their own passions. So tell us who our guest is today. I'm excited. Yes, our guest today is Jill Carlisle, and she is a best-selling author, freelance writer, editor, and an inspiration to everyone. Good for her. Yeah. And the quote you have that I suspect is going to go really well with this episode (laughs) is? Well, this is a really great quote, and I know you guys are really going to love it. And here it is. A woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. And that is by Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, that quote fits. I think that's a really good one. It's just a great quote, like for everyone. I think we can all relate to that. Well, you know, we've used Eleanor Roosevelt quotes before. Mm -hmm. And I suspect uh, this one is particularly relevant to our guest, wouldn't you say? I think so, you know, because I think we all have challenges in life. But I think it's way more difficult if those challenges start out when you're a child and you have to work through unlearning toxic people and family. You know, to me, I think it's particularly interesting when a person manages to make something good come out of bad times. Mm -hmm. And probably more importantly, they're willing to share their story with others to help them improve their lives. It's really a nice thing to do for people. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I and I think our je- our guest today, Jill Carlisle, is going to have an open and candid conversation with us. So let's listen to what she has to say. Yeah. Jill, we are so pleased to have you as a guest. And you are one of those people that others find inspirational and motivational. I know I have. Yes. Hi, Jill. So excited to have you with us today. You have been such a tremendous inspiration to many people. And we're excited to hear all that you have to say about your journey. Thank you so much. I am so happy and honored to be here. Thank you very much. We're glad to have you. But before we get started with the interview, we always ask our guests what they had for breakfast. So what did you have for breakfast? Because we're nosy. (laughs) (laughs) I had two eggs and two pieces of gluten-free toast. Okay, so the standard breakfast, I love it. Almost mirrored my breakfast. Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good breakfast, solid breakfast. Get you ready, ready for podcasting. Exactly. So why don't you share with us, Jill, where you're originally from and where you grew up? Okay. I am originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 
and I grew up in Tampa, Florida. So I am a Florida native. I've been here basically my entire life. Oh, wow. That's such a great place to grow up, though. I mean, how could you want to leave? It's like paradise. It is paradise. It is. Absolutely. So when you were growing up, did you have a favorite? I know we're going to get into some of the trials and tribulations of your childhood. But first off, how about tell us a favorite childhood memory you had? Well, that is really easy for me because my favorite childhood memory was our annual summer visits to Disney World. And even though that seems like a very cliche thing to say, oh, let's go to Disney World, it truly was the highlight of my childhood. I can see that. It's a a terrific place to go visit. And you already lived there, so it made it super convenient, too. It was super convenient, and it was just a lot of fun. And Disney World hadn't been around that long when I was growing up. And so it was not as crowded. It certainly wasn't as expensive. And it was just, a wonderful, wonderful memory I have with my with my mom and dad. Oh, excellent. And there's still magic there, I assume. The magic yeah, kingdom. Sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, your early years growing up and into adulthood set the stage for what you talked about with us when we first spoke. But let's start from the beginning of your childhood and you moving into adulthood. What happened? Yeah, so I am the youngest of four actually by 20 years. Mm. My oldest brother was 20 when I was born. My other brother was 19 and my sister was 16. And my parents had already been married 20 years. And so I was a huge surprise. I was the surprise pregnancy. They were not planning on having another child. My mom found out she was pregnant unexpectedly at a doctor's appointment. And it was just a huge shock for everyone. I mean, and of course, this is the story that I've been told my whole life. So there was a lot of resentment from my siblings, especially my oldest brother, Larry, who was 20 when I was born. Mm -hmm. He was playing football for the University of Miami. My other brother was away at college or getting ready to go into the Vietnam War. He had kind of shifting from that. And my sister was, you know, just about to start her junior year of high school. And My parents were looking at being young, empty nesters, so to speak, like, Mm -hmm. you know, 40-ish, 36, 37, 38, and boom, there I was. And my mom and dad were faced with raising another baby. And so there was a lot of resentment between Mm -hmm. my siblings and myself. Although when you're a child, you don't understand resentment. You don't even know what that word means. So. I endured a lot of childhood trauma because of the situations and because of the way that I was treated by my older siblings. And when that becomes kind of that foundation, when you start to have to fight for yourself from such a young age, you really aren't able to grasp onto the tools that you need to grow. So, because of that childhood trauma, it sort of led me into a life of making very bad choices because my mind really didn't process things the way a younger child should be processing things. And that's why I say living and going to Disney World was really my happiest childhood because I was really a child there. And I had my parents all to myself. 
I just remember that being just a wonderful time. So going into my kind of what I call and what I guess what we consider that age between 11 and 12, those tween years and, you know, asking a lot of starting to inquire, like starting to understand that, hmm, this doesn't seem like normal treatment from people. Mm -hmm. And learning from my mother that she was devastated when she found out she was pregnant with me and that, you know, she thought it was cancer. And, And I remember asking her, were you upset that it wasn't cancer? And I remember her answer being, no, but it would have been easier to accept. And yeah, and so, you know, as a child, you don't know how to process that, right? Because our brains as children, we're just not able to process it, but it sits with you. It's Mm -hmm. something that catches you off guard. You know that it's not right. And so from that moment on, I felt like I didn't belong. So the trauma and feeling like I didn't belong, I was always searching for belonging. My entire life, I was searching for belonging. So I always looked in the wrong places and I made really, really poor choices because I didn't have the tools to make better choices. You know, Jill, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question related mm-hmm. to that. You know, once you achieved adulthood, mm-hmm. how did your life progress both personally and creatively? Well, personally, as a young adult, it did not progress well. Professionally, it was great. Professionally, I had a great career as a musician. You know, I had a great career playing music. I had a talent, so I was able to use that talent and it was great. Personally, I went through multiple marriages, multiple relationships. My relationship with my children suffered. My relationship with friends and family members suffered because I just didn't know how to function in how to have a healthy relationship with people. When you had multiple, I mean, husbands and relationships, I assume mm-hmm. that had something to do with your own relationship with your father? Oh, yes, absolutely. And probably absolutely. your brothers, too, I would oh, yeah, think. Brothers. Yeah, your yes, brothers. Yes, Without a doubt, I sit and think about that and the way my brother Larry treated me and the way my father treated me very abusively. That was all I knew. So it was what I was attracted to. It was what I was drawn to because I always call that like, I was in this space of chaos Mm -hmm. and I didn't know anything else but that space of chaos. That is so hard because that's kind of, I don't want to say your comfort zone, but that's just what you're used to at that point, right? Absolutely. It does become your comfort zone. It became my comfort zone because when you're young and you're formidable, you only know that box that you're sitting inside of. You really don't know what's outside of that box. You don't know to even look for it. I could see that. That seems entirely true. Yeah. But, you know, at some point in your life, you probably realized that you wanted to change the dynamics of your life because, you know, after going through all of this, you probably just went, what is the moment that you just went, Mm. this is enough? Absolutely. Well, that moment didn't come till I was 42 years old. And I remember the exact moment that happened. I was, my daughter was a junior in high school and she was at her father's and I was home alone. And I had just gotten out of another really bad relationship Mm -hmm. that had been the result of a really bad marriage prior to that. And I just stopped and I said, everything is spinning out of control. I have no control over my life. I have no control over anything. And I just said enough is enough. 
And I prayed to my God. I gave it to him and I trusted. And I decided to quit fighting back. I decided to quit fighting against all of those demons that were still living so deeply rooted, that were so deeply rooted inside of me. I prayed, I exhaled, I sat in the stillness. And I call it that because that's what it was. It was a really a moment of stillness of mm-hmm. where I just, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life. And that's when everything in my life shifted, everything. Hmm. That's so interesting. You had to just take a moment and stop and take, I guess, inventory of what's going on, right, in your life and decide to change at that point. I I know we're going to talk about this later, but I'm happy to report that you're in a very loving, wonderful relationship now. Isn't that correct? Oh, I am. Ten years. So, yes. Yes. Congratulations on that because you you. certainly worked at it to get to this point. Thank you. Well, I'm going to ask you a question, Jill, about your love of creativity. When we first mm-hmm. chatted with you, we talked about that quite yeah. extensively. So why don't you tell us about that? Well, I always say this. Music saved my life. My love of music is really what got me through my childhood, my teenage years, and my adulthood. And so for me, creativity was a place that I was able to escape to and make my own things, whether it was making music, whether it was writing stories. It was an escape for me. It was an escape from pain. It was an escape from reality. And I had this God-given talent to create. Mm -hmm. I just, I was always, I had a very active imagination. And so that creative space, just like I was in that space of chaos, yeah. that creative space became my healing space. It grounded you too, I Absolutely. suspect. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Now, what is the music portion of that? Well, the music portion is that when I was 17, I went and I auditioned for Bush Gardens. From the time I was two years old, I'd been taking dancing lessons danced my entire life, ballet, tap, jazz, and singing. I never took a lesson in my life. It just came naturally to me. So at 17, after, you know, some tumultuous years, my mom said, listen, Bush Gardens, they're hiring. You're going to audition. This is non-negotiable. You're going to audition. So I practiced. I had no idea. I had no idea how to audition for anything in my life. Mm -hmm. So I just did kind of what I saw on TV, right? You know, from the, whatever they did, I emulated that, imitated that. And I went and I auditioned for Bush Gardens. And to my surprise, I made it. I was a singer and dancer at Bush Gardens at 17 years old. I worked there till I was about almost 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And then that led to basically a 30-year career in music. Not at Bush Gardens, but from that, I was in various wedding bands, other bands. Then at about, I would say, 35. I taught myself two instruments and used technology, you know, computer technology. And I went out and I was a solo act. And that's what I did to raise my children. I was a musician. So that's my music story. Wow. That's quite a story. That is quite a story. I love (laughs) it, though. 
Now, I, I'm going to ask you just a little bit about your writing, because later on we're going to discuss that in, in detail. But you alluded to the fact that you would sit down and use your imagination to come up with stories. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, really, it started when I was, was young, like when I was a teenager. I would say the first story I wrote was back when I was in middle school. It must have been middle school. And my mom sent me away to my older sisters for the summer. And I was miserable. It was a horrible time, a horrible summer. But I was able to write stories to kind of get me through it. So I think my first real book was when I was in junior high school. So I would write stories. I would write short stories. I didn't do anything with them. But I also started journaling. And nobody would listen to what I had to say in my family. So I wrote in my journal. And I wrote in my journal for years. Then I started taking all of those stories from my journal and I started writing song lyrics. And so writing and music has just really gone hand in hand. Then when I decided to go back to school, I knew that I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. So that was just the foundation of who I was. More formally. I think Angie's got a great question for you right now. Well, you know, I was looking through, I think we saw it on your website where you had a quote, and I really like this. Mm. It says, stories are the core of humanity. What do you mm. mean by that? Storytelling, well, we know that storytelling goes back to the beginning of time. But the stories are the core of humanity. What that means is that stories bring people together. Stories create community. Mm -hmm. They build community. When we share our stories, we become more empathetic with others. We travel to different places. We learn different things. We open up our hearts. We open up our minds and our perspectives to other people, other cultures, other life experiences. And that's what I mean by stories are the core of humanity. I love it. Thank you yeah. for that. This is great beautiful. Quote, great thoughts. Well, this is a good time to mention yes. your book because it <laughs> plays it plays such a pivotal role in your life. And apparently it has been, as we've learned, very beneficial to others that have had the opportunity to read it. First of all, what is the name of your book? And tell us a little bit about it. And thank you for asking. It's Finding 50, a memoir of rising in midlife. And it's really a memoir, you know, I, I'm a professor also, and my students would oftentimes, they would say to me, why are you writing a memoir, Professor Carlisle? You know, you're not famous. Why is anybody going to care? And I say to them, I say to anybody else, I would rather read a memoir from somebody who is not famous because I get to learn about them. And so my memoir is really kind of an inspiring story, taking readers on a journey into my ordinary life, kind of as I wrestle with my past that I have no control over, as I discover my power in shaping the future that I deserve. And I really feel like so many of us have a story to tell. And I really feel like telling my story will help others find theirs. And even if they never write a memoir, or put it out there, at least they are in touch with their own story and they know that it matters. 
they know that their truth matters. Mm-hmm. And really, my story is I'm trying to help others find something extraordinary in their own life. And really, I'm hoping to empower others and to believe in hope. I like what you said about even if somebody wrote a memoir about their life, which actually can become their legacy. And then even if they never publish it, it's just something that they have. It's kind of like taking all of your journal writing and putting it into one work that people or that the person who creates it could sit there and look back on it and say, yeah, I did this or I went through that or I overcame this problem and succeeded here and failed there, whatever. I think it's kind of a nice thing for people to do. It really is. I mean, that way people know your journey without trying to sort through your scrapbooks and things like that when you're not here. You know, that way they get a clear idea of what you've gone through. It is. And I, I say this and I only say this because I was being interviewed and they asked me a question of what was the biggest surprise of writing this memoir? And I say, you know, I started broken and I finished whole. And I really feel like that's really the truth of this memoir. I learned so much about myself that I didn't even realize I knew. I always say that I introduced me to myself through this memoir and I honored myself. Very good. That is such a nice sentiment. I really like that. I like that too. You know, I always have a personal tendency to think that we should be looking forward and not backwards. It seems like when we go back in our lives, there are a lot of trials, tribulations, things we're happy about, things we're not so happy about. But if you're focusing on the future, it seems like there is a destiny that you can look towards. How have you managed that? Well, I kind of uncovered a thought when I was writing this and after I was finished with it. And I hope this answers your question. But, you know, I said to myself, so I'm telling this story. I'm having to kind of sit back into those moments. And I agree with you 100% in that we can't cling to the past, right? We have to have hope for the future. And so the way that I look at it is that I had to tell the story. Now I have to detach from the story in order to tell the new stories, meaning Ooh, I like that. my future. I like that. The yeah. detachment. It gives you a, a space to where you could look back and say, okay, mm-hmm. that was then, and this is where I'm right. headed now. Exactly. Which is kind of, I'm going to ask you this just off the cuff here, is when you go through all of these trials and tribulations in life and, and angst, and then all of a sudden you have a lot of realization and growth, and then... I'm sure every once in a while there are flashes of things that come into your life. I like that you can distance. Has that really helped you kind of throw away kind of the past so you can enjoy what's going on instead of living in that past? Yeah, that fun word, individuate. Individuate from your past, I guess, yeah. Yes, without a doubt. You know, I always say that the only way around it is through it. I believe that. But I think that once you're through it, you can move on. You can move past it. And, you know, I still have flashes of times that are hard and where I maybe I'm triggered, right? Right, You know, we're all triggered. Certain things trigger us into sad memories or happy memories. But I also found so much hope and healing in writing the book that I'm able to kind of say to myself, 
look what you did, Jill. Look what you did. Mm -hmm. You took your past and you used it as a foundation for your future. So true. And helped others. Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing to me that through all your trials in life, you've accomplished so much, especially with your personal goals and getting your degree. Tell us about that and how difficult Mm. was that for you? Well, I'm on my fifth degree right now. I'm earning my fifth degree in 10 years, actually under 10 years. And I've had other people ask me that question, you know, what's been the hardest part of all of this? The first step was the hardest. And that was getting my GED. And everyone goes, well, why? I mean, you've got multiple advanced degrees. How can your little GED have been the hardest part? Because it was getting to the starting line. And so many people have a hard time just getting to the starting line. And so for me, it was getting that GED because there was so much shame that was the centerpiece of that. So much shame, embarrassment. I had lied to everyone. Everyone thought I had my high school diploma because my mother told me, you need to tell everybody, don't ever tell anybody you quit school. No one will accept you. So that was ingrained in my head since I was 16. So there was so much shame. And and we know what shame does. Shame shuts us down. Mm, Shame induces fear. And then fear, we're done. When we're faced with fear, we're done. So that was the hardest part of all of it Mm -hmm. was getting my GED. Well, how old were you when you got your GED? 42. Okay. So this was a little later in life. It wasn't like you were in your 20s or something. No. Which might have been easier, I suppose. You know, it might have been. And there were many, many times that I went to try to get the GED. And then I allowed self-doubt to ruin it for myself. I can't blame anybody else. That's on me. Mm -hmm. And then finally at 42, when I was done great. I wasn't done raising my kids, but my children had graduated from high school. I was like, you got this, Jill. There are no more excuses. You can do this. And that was the hardest part for me, really taking that leap and getting that GED and proving to myself that I was smart enough to pass a high school equivalency exam. Well, you come a long way from there. (laughs) What a great story. You know, I read where you said, I started writing because I have something to Mm. say. Actually, a lot of some things. Tell us what that means to you. And more importantly, what can others learn from that statement about you? Well, I was always told that it's better to be seen than heard. I grew up hearing that from my father and a lot of the men in my family and in my life, a woman is to be seen and not heard. And so I was made to feel that what I had to say was unimportant and it really just didn't matter. And every time I tried to speak my own truth, I was told to be quiet and that that's not true. And that didn't happen. And You don't need to worry about that. So I started writing because I have something to say, you know, a lot of some things because I didn't get to say anything when I was growing up. I didn't get to say anything as a teenager. And then I married men that were of that mindset as well. And so I have a lot to say, 
And it's okay. I'm allowed to say it. And I've given myself permission to say it. And so what others can learn from that statement is that you have the right to speak your truth. And you have something to say, and it's important. Whether you, again, going back to the journaling, whether you journal it, whether you tell it to somebody that you love, someone that you care about, you have that God-given right to use your voice. Excellent. That is so true. So true for so many people. It yeah. should, and should be true for a lot of people. Yeah, it should be true. They yeah, should embrace absolutely. it, embrace those thoughts. Very good, Jill. You know, I'm going to go back to your creativity, Jill, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And okay. we know from our discussion so far that you're very creative. What has been your driving force? And what would you tell others that want to be creative and follow their creative dreams? So creativity for me has been hopeful. Creativity gave me hope because I felt like if I could create, I could make a better life for myself. So creativity just was kind of the core of hope for me. Mm-hmm. And hope, that was all I had. Well, I had two things. One was hope. The other was faith. If I wouldn't have had faith and I wouldn't have had hope, I wouldn't be here right now. I would not be here. I wouldn't have made it through. And what I would tell other people that want to follow their creative dreams, just succinctly, I would say, keep forging ahead because the only way around it is through it. And finally, answer the door when hope is knocking. And that's kind of a metaphor for people ignoring hope and kind of putting those blinders on and not allowing themselves or giving themselves permission to see that there's hope, even on some of the worst days. Yes, we all have to embrace that hope and keep our eye on the door that is opening in front of us. Sometimes we just walk past it. That's right. Yeah. You know, every successful person tries to be original and authentic, but there are times we all have some self-doubt. I know (laughs) I do. Uh, How do you manage to get through those times? Yeah, those can be really tough times, can't they? I mean, because I think they hit all of us. We've all experienced that. And I still experience self-doubt. And that's, you know, one of the big things in a writer's community or even in just in a, I should say, a creator's community is that we all at some point feel like we have like this imposter syndrome and like what gives us the right to help others and what makes us so creative. The way that I get through these times is to remember the life that I've built for myself. And I really, really, really try to remember, I go back to the days that I went to go get my GED. Mm -hmm. That was pivotal for me. And I talk to myself, I talk to myself all the time. I don't know if that's middle age or if that's (laughs) not normal, but I talk to myself all the time. Well, I'm a, I'm a Gemini and I talk to myself all the time. So when you talk to your two people all the time, we we have amazing conversations. (laughs) You've got two people to talk to. That's even better. (laughs) Um, But for me, it's really about kind of reflecting. I always go back to that stillness. I sit in the stillness. I think about how far I've come and I think about what it felt like 
to take those first scary steps and making that decision to get my GED and that if I can do that, I can do anything. Because sometimes it's those teeny tiny little smallest steps that make the biggest impact in our life. So true. Perfect. That is so true. I wanted to ask you about your book and mm. we read some of the reviews on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Quite a few of them. Yes, actually. You had so many reviews and they were all yeah. amazing. But yeah. what was interesting to Rod and I is there seems to be a consistent theme to what people gain from reading your book and that many can identify with your journey. What are your thoughts about the interview? Uh, not the interview, but the reviews and how does that make you feel when you read those? Well, it's been overwhelming and very emotional mm-hmm. for me. It's been emotional. I mean, I think my husband and I have cried more in the last two weeks than we've ever cried. Just, mm-hmm. I'm humbled right. because finding 50 is serving its purpose. When I started writing this book, I took all of my journal compilations. I tried to organize them into a book of thoughts. And then as I was writing it, all the many iterations that I went through, I started to discover that I was shifting and changing and that my story might not be exactly what somebody else's story is, but they're going to be able to resonate with it. So for example, there are a lot of different stories in the book. For example, the one, you know, mothers and daughters. I've had so many people come back to me and say, you know, Jill, it made us sit and think about the relationship that we have with our mother. Or it made me think about the relationship that I have with my own child and moving forward with my own child. Or it's brought out funny, you know, kind of funny, happy memories. Mm-hmm. You know, when I talk about the Jordache jeans and the Gloria Vanderbilt jeans and the members only jacket, people will say to me, oh my gosh, I remember those days. You put me back to my high school days. Or they've said things to me like, I'd never thought about that. I'd never thought about how my childhood has affected my adulthood and how I can shift that perspective. And so those are the things when I hear things like that, when people call me or they text me or they DM me and they tell me that it's resonated with them and that it's helped them unpack some of their own memories and issues and thoughts in the way that they look at life. And even some of them have said it's helped them to shift their mindset. Very good. Oh, that's so good. It's got to be very rewarding for you. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously the readers get much out of it, but the person who writes the book often learns more about themselves after they hear what others have to say about it. So quite a journey for you here. Very much. Yes, yes, for sure. So what do you hope to personally accomplish in the next two years? You're an ambitious person. What's up for Jill? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm finishing up my MFA degree. I have a double master's degree in English and nonfiction creative writing. And I went back to school to get a master of fine arts in fiction. So 
that's going to be a huge accomplishment in the next couple of years. But I also just hope to continue inspiring other people to tell their story. And I hope that my book, Finding 50, lays that foundation and gives people hope. And I really hope that that's how people use my memoir. I hope that you know, I can write a few more books. That's what I'm looking to do. I've got one coming out in July and a fiction book coming out in December. And I just hope to accomplish more with my education, teaching, and just inspiring others. Well, really we'll have wonderful. to have you on our podcast again in 20 years to see how it went. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. That sounds like a plan. Okay. Well, you know, unfortunately, not everyone has the best experiences early on in life like you have experienced, Jill. But you managed to overcome those challenges in grand style. Do you have any words of advice that would help others that are experiencing some of the same challenges and issues that you had? Yes. Find, discover a higher power. Whatever that is, whatever that looks like someone or something that is bigger than you. That's what got me through. And I will always go back to that. I will always mention that when people ask me, how did you get through it? And how do you suggest other people get through it? It was that I had God in my life, a higher power, somebody that was bigger than me that I felt was there for me. So that's number one. Number two, Remove toxic people from your circle. Very true. You know, we all have interpersonal relationships with people throughout our lives, and some are good and some aren't so good. And so your last statement about getting rid of toxic people, and we've all had those people pop into our lives from time to time. Mm -hmm. And I Uh think they are probably the most degrading thing that anybody can have happen to them. Yes. But you've managed to... Well, recognizing it, recognizing it and not just continuing to put up with the the crap that you get, you know, from these kinds of people. But you'll turn it into a very positive thing. Absolutely. It may have taken her a while to get there, but you did get there. That you should be congratulated on that for sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. It's not easy to remove toxicity from your life. It's hard to even identify it. Because sometimes those toxic people can be family members. Sometimes they can be closest friends, people that you wouldn't even think are toxic. So that's like the first step. That's really hard. But once you can realize what toxicity is, what it looks like, and that you don't need it in your life, and you empower yourself to move through it, to move past it, and to remove it, what a gift. What a gift to give yourself. Wow, couldn't agree more on that one. Yeah, and those toxic people generally come cloaked in well-meaning advice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, now we're getting to the point where I'm going to ask you our park bench question, and I'm I'm fascinated to know what you'll ask, I mean, what you'll say. And so if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be, Jill? Yeah, this is this is an emotional answer for me. And you read my book. You may not understand why, but you might. You probably will. Mm-hmm. I have to say my mother. Mm. I have to say my mother. We didn't have a great life together. The end of her life was very difficult. And the way we said goodbye was very difficult. But no matter what, she's my mom. 
And no matter what, my father's my father. We're given one set of parents, biological parents. And if I could go back and sit on a park bench with my mom, I would just love to have a conversation with her. And I would love to tell her that I forgive her and ask her for her forgiveness too. You know, there's quite a dynamic between mothers and daughters. It's a mm. kind of a two-way thing that happens. But I also have to point out that there is a commandment that mm-hmm. has something to do with honoring our parents. Honoring, yes. And there is a reason for that commandment. And mm-hmm. it's always been amazing to me how much energy and effort was put into that particular commandment. And mm-hmm. we all have to, at some point in our life, we have to face that commandment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I won't go into all of that, but I 100% agree with you. And that has always been in my mind because at the end of the day, at the end of my life, at the end of my time, I will see my mother again. We will be reunited. And she's my mom. Yeah. And that's who God gave me. So true. And for a reason. (laughs) And that's probably why you've achieved and accomplished the things that you have, because it could have gone the other way. You could have had it very, very easy. And maybe you wouldn't have had the drive and the drive that you have experienced has helped a lot of other people, especially people have had the opportunity to read your book. But also, I think people that have had the opportunity to meet you and know you, You, you your life story is quite a journey. And uh, and I think it's particularly wonderful that you wrote this book. And I'm sure it's, well, I know it's going to be yeah, helpful to others. Definitely. And uh, for both Angie and I, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so, so, so much. This was just such a pleasure. And just speaking with you and chatting and spending time with you. It's just been wonderful. I just really appreciate both of you. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jill. And thank you for being with us today. And thank you for sharing your life journey and how you took charge and you made your life what you wanted it to be. So inspirational, I think, to everyone that listens to you today. And also, if you have a chance, you know, pick up her book on Amazon. It's, it's, it's truly inspirational. You will love it. Um, so now I guess it comes the time that I need to let everyone know. If you'd like to know more about Jill Carlisle, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her. And please connect with her on social media and check out her website. Thank you, Jill. Yes, thank you. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it. It was just, this was a gift. Thank you. You bet. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. Um, And all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day.